Welcome to Catholic Restoration Conference 5. This is Judith Sharp. Allow me to begin by telling you right up front that our guest today is not Catholic. Of course, it's our duty to work on converting him. In fact, he's a Baptist deacon. However, he's got Catholic morality and values. He's pro-peace, anti-war, and pro-life, anti-abortion. His name is Charles Carlson, better known as Chuck. We actually met promoting pro-life candidates when we lived in Arizona. He's a former Denver businessman, and after being conscripted twice into the U.S. Army during the Cold War years, he spent 25 years in the securities investment business. Wall Street trained, he turned critical, we're all going to like this, of the Federal Reserve Banking Cartel, or the Fed, when he discovered it had effectively encouraged and financed every war since 1913. Chuck is not only a promoter of life, but an avid pro-peace activist. Mr. Carlson organized We Hold These Truths in 1996 with the help of five close friends. We Hold These Truths has focused on exposing the scriptural error of war-willing churches. It soon became a full-time peace effort. He's written many articles, the first on December 26, 1990, entitled Iraq, U.S. Prepped for War. And it's my opinion that Mr. Carlson holds a true understanding of the Catholic just war doctrine. There's much more in this man's biography, but suffice it to say, he connects the vital dots between the military banking complex, the Zionist lobby, and war-willing churches that unwittingly support mass slaughter while talking about Jesus, the peacemaker. You may recall that Dr. Robert Sungenis has talked to us about Christian Zionism in the past but we thought it worthy to get another perspective from someone outside our Catholic realm. And for those in our audience who have yet to connect the dots, we welcome Mr. Chuck Carlson. And the title of his presentation is Christian Zionism in a War... Whoops, let me say that again. Christian Zionism is a war-based religion. Chuck, hello. It is so nice to talk with you again after such a long time. It is good to talk to you. It's been... Years. Seven or eight. Oh. Yeah, years. Yes, yes, yes. And since we were in Arizona, you know how many years ago that was. Oh, my goodness. But uh, I'm very grateful to you for uh, accepting our invitation to do this because I think it's going to be really helpful to a lot of uh, our Catholic uh, audience to understand this, that there are Protestants out there who understand Christian Zionism, and we need to have it uh, explained to us as well. So would you be willing to start with something of a definition of Christian Zionism? Sure, uh, and I'll, I'll give you a little idea where we, where we went to get the definition. Okay. Uh, a, uh, a few years ago, just before the uh, first bombs were dropped on Iraq uh, in 1991, uh, I uh, uh, began to realize that there was a concerted effort to sell a war to the American people, and most uh, most of most concern to me uh, was that it was alive and well in my own church. Uh, I was a, a Southern Baptist deacon. I well, went to—I uh, was in the church several times a week. I sang in the choir. I did all the things that the, that Baptist deacons do, meetings and so on. But I noticed that uh, there was a uh, th- that there was an effort going on uh, in the me- mainline media that was vilifying. Uh, the uh, leadership uh, of Iraq's 
Saddam Hussein, uh, and vilifying the, the people there, and it was pointed toward war. Uh, and, and then I also noticed that uh, w- right within the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, there was an office in that convention that, uh, that, that dealt with issues, and the issues that they be- were increasingly talk- talking about were the issues of the need for uh, a war against uh, Iraq, and uh, this bothered me since it was coming right from within that large denomination. Uh, we uh, later, uh, several years later, much went on. Uh, we ended up with an organization at, called We Hold These Truths. And uh, we were uh, challenging the idea of Christian Zionism. Uh, and uh, we needed to come up with a definition of what Christian Zionism was because at that time no one was talking about it. Uh, this in uh, the uh, early uh, 1990s. And uh, so uh, we finally resolved the issue as this. Uh, Christian Zionism is the belief that the physical state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy mm. um, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and that's the uh, definition that we that we came up with and. Uh, then uh, we found out that that would later become the, the accepted definition. So if you go to the uh, Wikipedia today and look up Christian Zionism and you ask for a definition, that is the definition it will give you. And uh, we, we found it out by accident by examining, uh, by examining what Christian Zionism, what Christian Zionists were doing. So... Uh, it is the belief that the political state of Israel uh, in, in, the, in the deserts of Palestine is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Bible. And this is the simplest possible reduction that we can come up with uh, for, that, for that very important definition. Well, I think that's a good one. And I, I know you're going to explain to us why uh, that fulfillment is, uh, or that, let's say that definition is a false definition, that's for sure. Uh, do you want me to ask you some questions, or would you like to just continue on with your own thoughts here? Well, let's, let's just, let's get biblical for just a little, little while, because we, we, need to do, we need to do that. Um, where does this idea that Israel... Uh, today, the political Israel today, is a God's chosen people, and that it is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Based upon this, uh, we we have seen this present-day state of Israel support every possible upcoming war in the Middle East, including uh, what's happening today in Syria, uh, in including the destruction of. Uh, of uh, Iraq, total destruction of Iraq, um, and uh, this uh, this movement toward war is wrapped up in the notion that Israel can do no wrong. The state of Israel can do no wrong. Uh, the reason Christians get involved in this is because uh, they are essentially told uh, that that Israel is is something of God. Israel is God's chosen. Uh, And this has been promoted uh, through uh, very powerful uh, international Zionist forces. There is a Bible that was written in 
1908 called the Schofield Reference Bible that became the official Zionist Bible. And when we went back and researched uh, where this where this document came from, we found out that it was actually promoted by the World Zionist Movement in the United States. They actually sponsored, worked with, and developed uh, uh, an individual who wrote this uh, Bible. It's called the Schofield Reference Bible, and the author was Cyrus I. Schofield. Uh, and uh, he he was uh, befriended by the by the World Zionist Movement in the United States. Uh, the man's name was Samuel Samuel Untermeyer, the Point Point Man. You've probably heard of him. Yes. He was the leading Zionist lawyer in America, and he had incredible political power. And we found out that he befriended Cyrus I. Schofield. He, in fact, he had a social club called the Lotus Club, to which he was the president in New York. Uh, and he actually promoted Schofield as a member of that club and later uh, funded him in an effort to rewrite the Christian Bible. And uh, they cleverly took uh, the, a common Bible used every day at that time, the new, um, the, uh, uh, the... Uh, St. James? Or uh, not St. James. <laughs> the new... The authorized King James, James Version. I would yeah. say Saint when it's King James, yeah. Yeah, the authorized King James Version. And uh, Schofield took this authorized King James Version, and he wrote thousands of words, literally hundreds of pages of footnotes to it, that def- made, definitions, uh, made definitions the way the Zionists wanted them to read. And uh, so uh, they created uh, uh, a... A definition of Christian uh, that, that has been used by Christian Zionism ever since. Um, before I go into that, do you have any? Do I, do I need to say more? Do you, do you, well, do you have I, questions I, I, about? I guess the, the question would be again: where where did they come up? Where biblically did they come up with the idea that they are the chosen people? And and well, I'll ask that first, and then we can go from there. Okay. Well, here's where they got it. This is there. Are, there are many places that they say this is. They claim they make this claim, but essentially the root that where they began was on page 19 of what is uh, the, the the King James version uh, and of the Schofield Reference Bible. That is, uh, and uh, it is Genesis 12, chapter verses one through three, and um, it's. I'm going to read that to you Good. verbatim. I'm reading it from the Douay Reims, oh, okay. 1899, um, and here's what it says. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and out of thy father's house, and come into the land that I will show you, show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and magnify thy name, and thou shalt be blessed, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. So Abraham went out as the Lord had commanded, etc. That's verses 1 through 3. Uh, now, for 2,000 years, I guess, before the Schofield Reference Bible came along, with very few exceptions, there was no—these uh, th- verses were read, and I think understood by everybody, I think Catholics as well, uh, to, to, to mean that out of, uh, 
I will bless thee that bless thee and curse thee that curse them, thee. And in thee shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. Um, it's been generally interpreted, I think, that uh, my church did, of course, that Jesus was that blessing. Yes, exactly. He mm-hmm. would come out of Abraham's loins and would yes. be the blessing to the entire earth. So that's been for 2,000 years how that uh, those verses have been read. They haven't been read as a real estate grant. <laughs> good, uh, good. Uh, that's not how they've been looked at. Yeah, good term. So here's what Cyrus I. Schofield wrote. And by the way, there are fully two pages of notes. On page 19 is three quarters of the pages full of notes. And uh, he, he gives three, he says, three interpretations of what this means. God made an unconditional promise of blessing through Abram's seed to the nation of Israel to inherit a specific territory forever. So here, here the first interpretation is that this is about land, and it's God is promising a specific piece of land to a particular nation who they call Israel to inherit this property forever. But, of course, we know at the time of Abraham, there was no Israel. The word hadn't been invented. Uh, Israel was a grandson of Abraham's who was two generations in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So the interpretation here is, of course, done in such a way that we would tend to think that the 1967 state of Israel, 1948 state of Israel, was what God was talking about here. Uh, In fact, this footnote was not in the original uh, 1908 Schofield Reference Bible. It was plugged in in 1967 after Israel was there. How fascinating. And was occupying this land. Wasn't that interesting? Oh, fascinating. So if you go in, yeah, if you read the Schofield Reference Bible that Cyrus I. Schofield wrote in Geneva, Switzerland, paid for by Samuel Untermeyer, we think, uh, he, he, left, he didn't make this statement at that time. They simply updated it. Uh, then the second uh, statement uh, here, uh, there was a promise of blessing upon those individuals and nations who blessed Abram's descendants, and a curse laid upon those who persecuted the Jews. Now, here we have the word Jews entered into this reference Bible. Of course, this footnote also written in 1967, the word Jews was very common. They used in 1967. But uh, back um, uh, at the time of Abraham, there was no term Jews. In fact, there was no Judea. There never had been. Uh, That came in the future. Um, And uh, so what this this statement does is it tends to tell us that there's a curse laid upon anyone who persecutes uh, Jews. Um, And uh, then the third... A pertinent note to this that's, that's, that we'll really, you'll really appreciate. Uh, the promise uh, to the Gentiles, I will bless thee, the bless thee, and curse thee, the curse thee. Those who honor Abram, Abraham will be blessed, and a curse on him that curses thee. Uh, this is the warning literally fulfilled in the history of Israel's persecution. It is invariably filled, uh, fared ill with the people who persecuted the Jews, and well with those who protected him. And get this final line, for a nation to commit the sin of anti-Semitism brings inevitable judgment, 
the future will still more remarkably prove this principle. So here we have something attributed to Abraham uh, thousands of years ago uh, that talks about persecuting Jews. And anti-Semitism and, uh, is how interesting. <laughs> yes, this creates anti-Semitism. Furthermore, it says that nations can be anti-Semitic, and if a nation is anti-Semitic, God will persecute, God, God will persecute it. So it warns uh, us that we must uh, honor and love and care for uh, the Jewish race, because if we're not, our whole nation is subject to persecution. Now, this Schofield Reference Bible is uh, has literally thousands of pages of footnotes. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. There are 1,200 pages in the book, and it's about half footnotes. So uh, this is the Bible that was basically created for the purposes of steering the, the Christian Zionist movement. And it became the most popular Bible in Protestant circles. Okay, now, can, now I, I, can I interject? Can I ask you a question here? Yes, sure. Uh, that had to have the World Congress of, of Protestants. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an organization. I don't know its exact name, World Congress or whatever. Uh, is it my understanding that they were communistic in 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 the hierarchy, and that they were the ones who pushed this Bible on the mainline Protestant sects? Do, do you follow what I'm saying here? This guy, I'm not exactly sure, sure. how to express sure. this question. And I, I think this is yeah, this is really important stuff because who uses this Bible and who doesn't? Right, that is the question. The, essentially, the, the Christians, the, the, the Schofield Reference Bible, was the main uh, was, was a was a, a main Bible used by uh, the, the so-called New Evangelical Movement. And uh, by the way, we have we have we have often called Christian Zionism Neo Christianity because it is a new sect. It's not something that goes back to the thousands of years. Uh, to the time when the original writings were made in Greek um, in the New Testament. Right. Uh, it, 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 it's something that started, it, it's newer than Mormonism. It started in 208 in, in, a, in a major way. And uh, this idea of Christian Zionism uh, was promoted to what is referred to as the evangelical churches. But that's a bad choice of words, too, because evangelical is a good word. We all think of ourselves as wanting to, wanting to influence our neighbor. We all have the tendencies to be evangelical. So uh, what they meant of, by, by the evangelical movement was a, a new movement that started uh, following the teachings of John Nelson Darby, uh, who was a Scot, and uh, Cyrus I. Schofield was one of the uh, early preachers in that movement. Um, the, uh, the, the, the evangelical movement would, uh, w would include the most, prominent, the most prominent sect, and it was the Southern Baptist Convention, mm -hmm. created right after uh, the Civil War. And it uh, is today, uh, has about 19 million members uh, several seminaries, and those seminaries actually use the Schofield Reference Bible from day one. 
we believe that there was probably a big subsidization of the distributions of these Bibles. Uh, they were published by Oxford University Press in England, uh, which was very uh, much dominated by uh, the Rothschild influences oh, there. How about that? And yeah, and they and they opened a branch in New York to sell the New Schofield Reference Bible after. Uh, it was uh, published and printed in, ni- in 1908, and they've uh, sold those ever since. Now, there are many other study Bibles that have come since that have followed this same line of reasoning and sold the same general idea. Uh, and uh, so you can find many of those. The NIV Study Bible is one example. The John MacArthur Study Bible is another. There are numerous ones. Uh, we don't follow them all, but... Uh, Generally speaking, the mainline churches, which I would refer to as the mainline Protestant churches, uh, such as the Lutheran Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the um, Presbyterian Presbyterian Church USA, and the Episcopal Church, uh, they did not buy into the notion of the Schofield Reference Bible. They saw through the footnotes, and generally it just did not work there. Basically, the uh, churches that accepted uh, the Scofield Reference Bible were those who uh, were a lot, who, who could be convinced that the uh, state of Israel was the fulfillment of God's prophecy, and that's where the Scofield Bibles took root. So uh, today, if we were to look at a pie chart of Christianity and uh, and uh, divided into three three big hunks, and one sliver, let's say, uh, the three big hunks would be Roman Catholicism or Catholicism in general, um, uh, then Christian mainline uh, would be the second one, Protestant mainline would be the second one, and the evangelicals, which we call the Christian Zionists, would be the third. third, Those pieces of pie are roughly sort of similar. They're not too, there's not too much difference. Mm-hmm. There are about 40 to 70 million Americans who go to churches that are either, uh, th- that are influenced by the Christian Zionist idea. Some of them are, are, are very devout and or uh, very radical, let's say, such as John Hagee's uh, church in San Antonio, Texas, Cornerstone, church, uh, and there's one of those, uh, or several here in uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, but uh, the, the, the evangelical wedge of the, of the Christian movement uh, would constitute about a third in terms of uh, the memberships. However, of course, people in churches don't always understand the theology of the church, Right. Right. But that would include uh, just a real quickly. That would include a Pat Robertson and his his uh, absolutely, followers. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Pat, Pat Robertson's independent uh, Liberty Baptist school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sure the uh, um, Rod Parsley, Benny Hinn um, and uh, all uh, most of the independent mainline evangelical churches, mega, especially the megachurches, mega churches, yeah. fit into this category. Okay. They have essentially used the Scofield Reference Bible to convince people to follow them. <sighs> it works. It's a good recruiting tool. 
Hmm. It has elements in it that can really be sold to people. Why? Because so that, why, 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 why? But what? What would sell people? Is it because a, a fear factor is involved in yes. some? Okay. There's a fear factor. Yes, there's a fear factor involved, uh, and uh, that's uh, preached. Um, so uh, the coming down to where where we are now, if if you go to a church that teaches that Israel. Is, has a special gift from God. It is God's chosen. It's there because God put it there. It becomes holy, and it then becomes something that you have to think about in your life. You've got to be very careful what you say. You have to be careful what you do. You have to be careful who you associate with. And, uh, and this is the way the Christian Zionist movement has captured members. There's a lot of attractive things about it. Uh, it's very family-oriented, and so on. But the movement uh, is based upon falsehood, the, the, the falsehood of the interpretation of Abraham, the simple words that were spoken to Abraham, uh, is, is one example. And there are many others. Uh, what does, for instance, uh, since the, 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 the Christian Zionist Church, or let's call it, since Neo-Christianity has supported every war that the United States has been in uh, in the last uh, 30, uh, 30, 27 years, uh, basically because uh, there is a, a antipathy uh, against Muslims. It's created within the movement. Why is it? Because Israel is the enemy of the countries around it, all of, according to uh, teachings, uh, all of the countries around Israel are trying to destroy it. And therefore, if you love Israel, you have to hate Iraq. If you love Israel, you have to uh, be prepared to sacrifice the uh, people in Syria right. uh, to war. You have to, you have to put that aside. You have to say, well, the war against Syria is just because the man is evil. He's against Israel, and we're for Israel. And so, ver therefore... Uh, Syria, well, we just have to assume that those people who are victims shouldn't have been there in the first place, or some such argument. Christian Zionists or neo-Christians uh, are, are taught to come up with excuses why they do things, and war is something that they find ways to excuse. Wow. So back in, back in uh, 1989, when I first noticed this going on in my church, and I quit the church and started an organization to talk about this. Um, and, and by the way, the first article that we wrote, we still keep it. And um, it was uh, uh, Christians conditioned for war. And it was about uh, the conditioning that was going on within the church I belonged to, to make us accept the idea that we were eventually going to end up bombing Saddam Hussein because he was so evil. Right. And that the people who were victims, um, the, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, now we know half a million Iraqis who, who were slaughtered in this war, um, they, they, uh, they were inconsequential because it was God's movement in supporting the state of Israel. Yeah. Israel, of course, was very uh, powerfully uh, outspoken in the, the need to, to do war against Iraq back in 1989 and 1990. 
And in 19, it was in January, uh, Christmas 1991, when, uh, Christmas 1990, when we actually got ready to... Right, uh, I remember well. Daddy, Daddy yes. Bush. Yep. Right, that's yep. right. Oh, my goodness. So, so that's, this is sort of how it works. So now, come down to a practical matter of how we deal with, with this. Our organization, we decided that the leaders in the Christian Zionist movement are a lost cause. But we knew from our own personal experience and our own family's experiences, and my, my kids went to the church with me, that there were all kinds of people who could be influenced. And in fact, most of the people who wanted to be involved in our little movement that we started, We Hold These Truths, uh, were people that had come out of an experience of being in evangelical churches and having this effort, this, 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 uh, these ideas taught to them or attempted to be taught to them. And uh, these are people that said, no, this is something wrong about this. I need to look further. So we took the idea that we were, that our effort was to change, to try to change um, people who were being influenced and didn't know it within the uh, within the neo-Christian churches, that mm-hmm. that one-third wedge of the big pie chart, you see? Oh, I do. And see. then, secondly, we concluded that the mainline Protestant churches should naturally oppose this, because they didn't buy the idea of Israel being some special creation of God. Uh, they, they did not bite into this notion. It was not... Uh, not something that was uh, that was native to them, and so uh, we hope that the change would come from the mainline churches, and that is happening. And I, though I'm not as uh, in touch with Catholic laymen as I would like to be, uh, I, I think the Catholic uh, Catholic churches are doing their share too. Uh, there is a very strong growth, a, a very strong movement against Christian Zionism cropping up in the mainline, old line, let's call them the traditional, um, the traditional Protestant churches like the Lutheran Church, mm-hmm. the United Methodist Church, uh, the Presbyterian Church USA. These churches have all come out with very strong uh, minority memberships that have taken extremely strong positions favoring the Palestinian people. And this is the start of the, the movement to recognize the Christian Zionist movement that's going on around them. Uh, we say we'd like to see everyone compete with the uh, evangelical churches, uh, because the people who are in those churches can see the light. They can, they can be convinced if you, uh, if you talk to them. And we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how you tell people who are very dear to you, like family members who are in Christian Zionist or neo-Christian churches, uh, how you how you go about talking to them, what you shouldn't say, what you should say, uh, what kind of things will really turn them off and make them not want to talk to you anymore, what kind of things will will actually might cause them to take a look. Um, of course, we concentrate our efforts on very simple biblical statements, such as uh, "Blessed are the peacemakers." Um, for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus, of course, uh, said that. And he, and he said it in the context of the Beatitudes, uh, right. which had this attitude of humbleness and love of one's brother. Uh, the statements about loving your neighbor, 
defending your neighbor, protecting your neighbor. These are the kind of things that we have asked, uh, that we ask uh, evangelicals, how they live with this. How do they explain the admonition to be a peacemaker? How do they explain the admonition to love your enemy even uh, in the context of Christianity uh, when they are associating with people who are all for bombing whole civilizations? Yes, good thought, Uh, good thought. Yeah, so it's how you go about talking to people is really important, and we've, we worked hard on that, trying to, to help people understand uh, how to deal with their own life in some cases. Chuck, do you ever? We've had, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I got, we've I got had, a question. We've, we've, had, we've had many cases of people who've told us, uh, my problem is with my, with my wife, uh, or my problem is with my husband. Uh, so maybe uh, remind me, uh, we should talk about where where people pick up Christian Zionism. Um, well, I was going to ask you, when you talk to these people, do you ever reference the fact that, yes, uh, Abraham said, uh, you know, that he would fulfill, give them the land of fruit and honey or whatever it is. I don't have the, the reference in front of me. I know that's in Genesis, too but that he did fulfill all his promises and that that's biblical, that you can read Joshua, Three Kings, Nehemiah, and, or Nehemiah, and, and also understand that he said, you know, he told us that all of his promises had been fulfilled. Do you use that at yes, all? we do, and that's a, that's a good argument. Um, and what you find when you have these conversations with people you have to you have to pick what is was really key that you want to get said, uh, because our, the discussions sometimes are real short. But that is true. Josh in Joshua it does say God's all the promises made by God to Abraham, Abraham were fulfilled. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very good argument. You know, you made a, you made a uh, mentioned anti-Semite. I said, well, of course, when I'm t- while you're talking, I'm thinking of all kinds of things, and I'm oh, I'm catching on about this and that, but. Um, you mentioned anti-Semite. Now, we also know that in the state of Israel today, uh, there are a lot of maybe Semites, but there are a lot of people who are not Semites. And, I mean, that's been proven by DNA today. You want to talk about the Khazars at all? Well, sure. I mean, uh, we, we don't think that there is any anybody that has any proof of a bloodline to Abraham. We haven't seen any Abraham DNA. We haven't seen anybody's come up with Abraham DNA. Uh, We know that the present uh, citizens of Israel almost entirely immigrated there from Europe or from Russia. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many many from Russia. So overwhelmingly you have people that are from uh, from other areas, and we don't know how they became Jewish or if they even are Jewish. As a matter of fact, the whole term Jewish is, is very misstated because... Uh, uh, is the religion of Khazar Jews, uh, European Jews, uh, today uh, anything like the religion of Abraham uh, uh, 3,000 or 4,000 years ago? I don't know if it really is. Uh, most, of, most of the Israeli residents uh, represent themselves as being secular, and that means essentially, uh, well, almost atheistic. Yes, that's Except as, ne- as they need to get along politically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, uh, to say that there is a physical link of these people back to Abraham is nonsense. We, we, we can see that in, in a big hurry. There just is no way to, 
for them to connect. Yeah, well, I always laugh because they talk about Hitler getting rid of all the Jews and wanting them to go to land of Israel or whatever. Uh, that proving there again that they that they weren't there originally, that they were being moved in. And of course, Theodore Herzl, uh, he wasn't even sure that he needed. He wanted a, a state, a national state, I guess, for uh, for Zionists, but. He didn't really care if it was Israel or if it was Liberia or someplace else. They settled on Israel, but uh, that was just chosen for whatever reason. I don't know. Yes, uh, and he didn't. And Herzl never thought about calling it Israel either. It didn't. It never entered his head to call it Israel. He wanted to call it the Juden State, Judenstadt, or the Jewish State was the name that Herzl used in in talking about the. New homeland that he was trying to get funded. He also tried to get the uh, elite Jewish businessmen to put up the money to buy it uh, from well, the Turks. And, and, they, couldn't, and, they couldn't raise the money, but they had other ideas about how you took and got a piece of land. And that takes us back to the time of pretty close to the time First World War with Herzl and and that he maybe a little bit before, but and that Belf, Belfort Declaration. Maybe you should discuss that. Well, it's a big subject. But essentially, uh, it, it relates very closely to something that was happening right here in the United States, and that was the start of the Zionist movement in America and the creation of the Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, as I understand uh, the, uh, the Balfour Agreement, uh, the, which, of course, we, we've all read, uh, the, the Balfour Agreement was... Uh, was essentially a gift uh, of uh, the uh, British government uh, to the Zionist movement, but it wasn't a pure gift. There was a price. Uh, the uh, very prominent uh, British businessmen and politicians saw the need to try to get the United States into World War I uh, Germany was simply winning, and England was losing the war. England was in a position in 1917 where they were being asked, they were being sued for peace by the, the Germans. They were saying, we'll, we'll give you terms, let's, let's surrender. Uh, and uh, Great Britain, through uh, prominent leaders, including the, uh, the Rothschild family, uh, it was uh, Walter Rothschild at the time, I believe, and uh, Dr. Uh, Arthur James Balfour, uh, they uh, they went to uh, the uh, they went to the prominent American Zionists, uh, which was a, a young movement at that time, headed by this one Samuel Untermeyer, and they appealed to him uh, to uh, try to get the United States into World War One on the side of the British. Uh, they made elaborate promises to them. And one of the promises that they made was that if the Zionists in America could convince or compel or force or blackmail our president, Woodward Wilson, into joining in the European war, uh, when uh, Wilson had already said that he was against the war, yes. uh, then uh, the... Uh, the Zionist movement would be granted, Great Britain would grant Palestine to the Zionist movement. 
And apparently that deal went through because uh, the Zionist movement did pressure Woodrow Wilson and Woodrow Wilson did enter the war. And that's why Great Britain won the war uh, over the Europeans. So the Balfour Agreement was, uh, was a gift or was a payoff, uh, it appears, uh, to the Zionist movement for getting the United States into World War I, something that cost us, 100, I think, 100,000 men. Yeah, uh, oh, and which we would have never been in had it not been for the Zionist movement pushing us into the war, war. In, ex- in, in an effort to get uh, this this uh, Zionist goal accomplished. Right. Uh, so uh, those those uh, those stories are readily available to read, and you can make your own judgment whether you believe them or not. But there is no question that this self same Samuel Untermeyer did sponsor. Uh, Schofield and did sc- probably paid outright paid for the writing of the Schofield Reference Bible and the distribution of that through uh, evangelical churches in America. And uh, the Moody Bible Institute was one of the early ones. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention was uh, just getting started. Uh, it was a small movement, but it was to become very powerful. And uh, it was uh, the Basically, the grassroots lobbying movement uh, for the Zionist for the Zionist movement in America it sprung up in this uh, was was uh, was promoted in this neo-Christian church, which we now some which we now call Christian Zionism. Yeah. Uh, so here you have the Zionists very cleverly realizing that you couldn't do big political international business in the world in, uh, in, uh, in 1907, 1917, without having the blessings of the new power, political power in the world, the United States government. And so they actually were working on establishing that. And by the way, a Zionist, a very prominent Zionist, was, support, was promoted to the Supreme Court um, was that Brandeis? In, who, who was yes, that? It, that was Brandeis. It was. By the same Woodrow Wilson at about the same time. Wow. So the Zionist movement was very powerful in the U.S., and it was finding a grassroots ally in a Christian segment of the Christian church. That's how the Christian Zionist movement was started in America. Mm. I have another question. When you're talking to people, trying to explain to them the situation in Palestine, do you ever bring up about the King David Hotel or the Ergon or the gangs that uh, were really uh, the ones who were uh, so violent and so brutal uh, and who ran the Palestinians out of the their homelands, took away their lands? I mean, no different. It's going on today. With the 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 bulldozing of these uh, homes that people have lived in for maybe centuries, uh, but it, that was the start of it, as I recall, the night in in what forty eight, forty six, whenever that was. Well, yeah, after forty eight, and 40. yes, we have. Uh, and what we find is that uh, the 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 brainwashing that's gone on in in the churches uh, uh, t- tend to tell you. Uh, tend to tell you, well, these people uh, are savages. Oh, yeah. And that is the problem. 
So uh, that is something that's important for people to understand once they're willing to look. And the trick is to somehow get them to take a look first. And uh, that's and that's um, and looking back at history is is not an easy way to do it. It has to be something that kind of comes from the heart, something they can feel themselves right then. You'd be better off talking about, I think, about something that happened uh, yesterday in Palestine, if you could get them to uh, look at something that happened yesterday. Um, the, um, uh, the um, I, I think uh, yesterday a, a policeman shot another uh, Palestine, Palestinian who had... Uh, uh, had uh, done a knife attack on a on a, on a policeman uh, and had slightly wounded one or two policemen and he was of course killed and then the story from uh, mainline media said uh, this he's a, this is the 211th uh, Palestinian who's been killed and they have killed uh, managed to kill about 50 Israelis uh, usually with knives. And so, of course, the story here is, is obvious. The Palestinians have butcher knives. The Israelis have, uh, Guns. A, have every kind of weapon conceivable. Uh, and the reason for that is that the Palestinians have been occupied, and no one dares have a gun. Uh, when I was in Gaza uh, in uh, 2002, uh, the war was going on there. There were bombings while I was there. And by the way, we made a movie that uh, is on our website that uh, people can go there and, and watch. And it has scenes that I actually took over from a rooftop of bombings of the Palestinian people in Gaza in 2002. Uh, there were 40 U.S. missiles fired out of uh, I don't know how many uh, Apache helicopters, maybe a dozen. Uh, I couldn't see them because it was in the dark and it all was a show overhead in the dark. But I did photograph it from my rooftop. And uh, the uh, 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 the next day, I, I asked my Arab friend, a guide who was taking me around, I said, can you show me any weapons for sale here? And he said, yes. He took me to a department store. And there in the department store, there were on display two rifles. They were two rifles. Uh, I think they had scopes. I'm not sure. But they were basically something like a 306 uh, bolt-action deer rifle. And the prices on them were equivalent to a used car. Mm. In other words, thousands of dollars for each one. Oh my. And my friend explained to me, once in a while, a Palestinian here will become so fed up with life here, the way we're being treated, that he'll sell his car, go down and buy one of those, and go out and try to kill someone. And uh, so there were two for sale in this department store. Mm. Uh, this, this is the degree to which the Palestinians in Gaza uh, were, uh, were uh, uh, disarmed. Uh, they didn't have rifles. They didn't have anything. And when the Apache helicopters were hoovering over my building, firing uh, Hellfire missiles down on uh, Palestinian positions a mile away in Gaza City, uh, I, if I would have had an M1 rifle, which I fired professionally in the military on a rifle team, and had I had some kind of a sight that would allow me to see in the dark or if I could have seen the flashing lights, I could have easily hit these helicopters, but it wouldn't bring them down, and it would probably brought down the building I was standing on. Yeah. So I wouldn't have done that if I would have had one, and no one else fired anything at these helicopters either. Mm. They hoovered 1,500 feet overhead uh, for two hours, firing wow. 40 missiles. 
Wow. And not a shot was fired back, not a not a sound, not a not a bit of resistance. Everyone just huddled in their house and was glad that they were underneath the helicopters and not underneath the bombs that were coming down. Oh my so gosh. this this is the this is the uh, uh, disarmed position of the Palestinian people. Uh, I, I do think people are beginning to see it a little bit better now. Don't you think so? Well, I like to think so, because if there's any rational minds out there, when they read in the newspaper what you mentioned earlier, that uh, three Israelis were killed or maimed or whatever or wounded, and uh, 25 uh, Palestinians were killed, do people not connect, you know, what that means? Does that not mean anything? Um, I, I, I don't know. I like to think people are waking up, but it's, they've been, like you said, so brainwashed. They think that Israel, we have to have Israel as a friend because they've been taught that everybody around Israel is an enemy and they're not. Again, I, this has been said on this, this website, our, our little interviews before, and certainly Dr. Sungenis has helped us. You're doing it from your perspective, which I think is really healthy for us. But um, if you go back to say that these people are barbaric and that they're they're you know the Palestinians I'm talking about and that they don't know how to farm or they don't know how to grow anything is utterly ridiculous because in the time of Christ you had no problem they all had food they had olive I mean what about the olive gardens that have been just ruined some of that is their livelihood I mean I just. I go bananas when I I think about this whole thing. I, you know, I read the book by by um, President Carter. I think everyone should read that book. I the apartheid. No, what is it? I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, Peace, not apartheid. I think is the name of it. I'm not sure, but it's so vital to get an understanding of how wrong it is. But does do, do you ever talk about the money? That's going to Israel from us. That the the amount that we're giving and that all those arms are. American-made arms that are killing all those people? Yes, and that's really an important subject. There's one subject that, that will reach almost everybody in America, and that is money. And uh, if, if you talk to evangelicals or to people that are buying into the evangelical line or, or the Zionist line, the Neo-Christian line, um, and, and you talk to them about things like, do you really think that you can afford to have our country in debt by $20 billion so that we can support these wars that some people in the Middle East think we should have. Uh, is, is that really going to be good for your children and your grandchildren? Or are we being fed something that we, that we should not be supporting? Is it possible that the money tells the story? Uh, you can also point out that you can also ask the question, why is it when the, when the Palestinians attack an Israeli, it's always with a butcher knife? And when the Israelis kill the Palestinians, it's always with an automatic weapon. How come the Palestinians, if they're so bad, if they, if they, 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 they don't have any weapons? Uh, and uh, so you can, you can ask questions about that. But the most important questions, I think, to ask are the ones out of Scripture, the real, real simple ones about how do you feel about being being a part of creating these wars that are taking all these lives? Does that bother you? Oh. Uh, those are the kind of questions that sometimes will be caught up in people's minds, and they will 
they will think about them, and uh, and that's uh, that's uh, the, the, what we found to be useful. A few well-selected Bible verses, uh, just knowing a few. Uh, you don't want to pair ever get involved in, in pairing Bible verses with these Zionist leaders because that's what they do for a living. And we call it Bible bingo. They can come up with, uh, or scrabble, they can come up with uh, passage, passages here and there from all over Scripture, uh, um, melt them together, uh, and, and then quote them as a, as a story. And uh, they, they convince people that way. Hmm. So, uh, but, but with talking to your friends, the ordinary people, you can ask them real simple questions about uh, being peacemakers and loving your brother and how, how they feel about that. And, and it it's, uh, works better than most, uh, most techniques. Uh, and again, uh, forget about the leaders. You're not going to change them. Like Hagee and, and those guys. Like Hagee, yeah. John Hagee. We've been to dozens of John Hagee. We, we hold vigils in front of churches, and we've been to dozens of John Hagee uh, meetings and held vigils in front of the churches, and, uh, and they try to cope with us from, the, from inside. Invariably, what, what value we have comes from people who walk out, sometimes kind of apologetically, and just want to know why we're there and want to talk about it. Why it is that we would do this? So uh, the the object is the people that are being taught, not the teachers. Um, I want to uh, point out one other thing that is really important. Um, do you know about the Bible uh, Bible teaching organizations, the national ones? Um, the Christian Zionism is spread uh, to uh, mainline churches uh, like the ones I've talked about that don't believe in the scriptural ideas we've discussed. Uh, it's taught to their members oftentimes uh, through uh, two major uh, Bible study groups. One is called Bible Study Fellowship. It's called BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. It operates all over the world. It's extremely successful. They borrow space, rent space, use space in churches, oftentimes are given space in churches, I've even seen Episcopal churches who would allow them to use their building to conduct Bible studies, and then the members, some of the members of the church goes. These organizations are Zionist organizations, both of the ones I've mentioned. The other one is called Precept Ministries. BSF and Precept Ministries also reach Catholics because there are Catholics who want to take a Bible study, yes. and they end up going to a, hearing about a BSF meeting from a friend or something, and they go to those meetings, and immediately the ideas that are taught, uh, the Christian Zionist ideas are taught there, the word that would be used to describe them would be called dispensationalism. Oh, yes. And that's a word that comes from Cyrus I. Schofield himself. He actually talked about, excuse me, <clears throat> He actually talked about Bible dispensations. I won't get into what that means, but it is a key. It is a key word to know that it is basically a Zionist teaching. And uh, this is one of the most insidious and effective uh, ways uh, that Zionists spread their messages is through these, uh, through these churches, because they get to uh, Lutherans, they get to Methodists, they get to Presbyterians and Episcopals and Catholics 
who uh, want to learn uh, about the Bible and just simply go to these things and take these courses, and these courses go on and on, and people become very much involved in them. Uh, my wife was offered a chance to be a, a Bible instructor for one of these before she understood what they were teaching. Um, uh, the other point is that, that, that is, I think, so important is that there is a movement that is quite powerful that is making real progress in some of these mainline churches. I mentioned it before. Uh, I would mention, again, the, 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 uh, the United Church of Christ, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, uh, the uh, the uh, steadfast hope is produced by the Episcopal Peace Foundation. It's a it's a, it's a quite an effective book. Uh, Zionism Unsettled, produced by the congregational as a congregational study study guide within the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church of America, and it's a it's a good it's an excellent piece. We've read it, we approve of it, we recommend people read it. Uh, these are uh, these are all efforts that have have grown up uh, since we started our effort uh, to, uh, to uh, educate people within these mainline churches. And I'm sure there's some within your church, and you're part of that. So they're, you're, you're, they're, you're, doing that you're saying that they are educating people to the truth? To the truth within the mainline churches. They publish, they produce publications that we can approve of. Wow. That we, would, that we could even put on our website. All of this has happened in the last 10 years. We, we saw none of this 10 years ago. About that, about that long ago, the, the National Council, Council of Churches and the World Council of Churches, I believe it was the National yeah. Council of Churches, published a publication that was right on point called Understanding Christian Zionism. That was one of the first efforts. So we're getting a lot of help from places that, that, we, that we wouldn't have thought we would get help from years ago. All right, but... And, 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 that, and that's very encouraging. Um, but are you getting any resistance from, from people like the Southern Poverty Law Center or any other uh, NGOs or any of that sort of thing? Any yeah, sure. We, yeah, sure. And, of course, uh, we're called... Uh, the Anti-Defamation League uh, keeps a bio on us and keeps that up. And, sure, we have resistance... Uh, the, the churches that uh, that we go to and have vigils at the churches, of course, don't like us. Uh, they, they denounce us. Uh, we generally go there to, again, expose the leadership before the members. Mm-hmm. We're hoping that the members will see that there's reason for a con- We have a conflict with the leadership of the church. And that's, that's the reason we've done this. And uh, sure, you're going to have resistance no matter what you do. Right, especially if it's something good. <laughs> yeah. De- devil's not going to let us get away with anything good without without doing everything he can to stop us. But I was wondering if, like, for instance, on the uh, SPLC, are, are, is, is your organization listed on their hate hate uh, list? I don't know. Oh, uh, I'll, have, I'll have to look you up. I mean, yeah, we are. Enough. I mean, we are, and everybody we know is, so it's kind of interesting. Um, this well, is this is a, a, another question I have. I mean, you, uh, I think you had asked me uh, personally about Catholic Zionists, and and I have to question how in the world somebody like uh, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, who is a confirmed and and vocal Zionist, 
Uh, I don't know where these people come from, and I don't know how there's any possibility of of instructing them or educating them. Because uh, you know, are they like the Hagies of the world, where you just might as well forget them? I think so. I, I don't think that's I don't think that's where we're going to win the game. I think we'll win it in the trenches. Yeah. And we're seeing, of course, this incredible political revolt movement. Uh, the uh, the Bernie Sanders movement was political revolt. It was not a love of every idea that Bernie Sanders had in his head. It was that people were looking for somebody different who was not part and who separated himself from the establishment. Right. That was even true of Donald Trump. Trump Donald sure. Trump got he got a tremendous number of votes from people who would normally not have voted for him, but they thought he was not part of this the, the business establishment. Right. Exactly. So we we are seeing people that, that are turning and revolting against things they consider to be wrong. And that is happening and it's going on and and, and we, we have to depend upon that that happening. People are going to uh, people are going to think of things and do things um, that we wouldn't have expected them to do uh, 20 years ago. Right, we have to make uh, our move as they see this moon. Yeah, make our move while the while while we can while this is happening. Well, there are a lot of uh, good traditional Catholics who are working uh, it, it, with this effort as, as well. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Dr. E. Michael Jones with C- Culture Wars, but he certainly yep. won. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mentioned Dr. Sanjanis, and there are many others. And, you know, they're making inroads, too. But like you say, we have to just keep, keep working at it and try to educate as many as we can. I know I have lovely, mar- marvelous Protestant friends who think Israel, you know, we just must be friends with them. And uh, it's kind of hard to get through to them that they've they've been taught probably from their church because they're not getting it really out of the Bible. They're getting it from somebody else who's telling them that, uh, well, this is what you should believe about the Israelis or the Jews, and this is what you should believe about the Palestinians. I want to just mention again, I think it's important because uh, with Syria, uh, with uh, Iraq, uh, those were secular societies insofar as the fact that Christianity was allowed, what they, it was protected. Uh, although small communities, at least they were protected. I suspect that in Iran there's a small uh, Christian sect. I, I just don't know where they are because I haven't really studied that or looked that up, but I'll bet you there is an enclave of Christians there. But it's like any any country that has anything to do with any Christians, and of course the Muslims have been vilified, we know that, but even with Christianity, we should be saving those Christians. You know, I, I think I might have mentioned this a long time ago in one of our interviews, but I would have thought that when the church in Bethlehem, the church of, of, of the Nativity, was fired upon by the Israelis many years ago, that Christians would have risen up to get furious with Israel for bombing and shooting up that church. But there was no no outrage. There was no backlash to that. I, I don't understand it, Chuck. Um, uh, Judith, I think there was a there was an outrage, but I think it was within those mainline churches that I mentioned, such as the uh, such as the, uh, the uh, ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Um, they actually had missionaries in Palestine. All of these churches have, that I've mentioned maintain mission programs, and so they have people that are there and who 
do come back and tell them the truth. One of the things that the Southern Baptist Convention did when I was there was they withdrew their missionaries from Iraq. They withdrew their missionaries from Iran. They withdrew their missionaries from Gaza. When I was in Gaza, I, uh, I, uh, I stayed with mission people who had actually left the Southern Baptist Convention and found secular jobs in Gaza because they didn't want to leave. That was their mission. That was their home. They wanted to be among those people. Uh, I gave a lecture in uh, in a uh, in in the Islamic Islamic uh, the Islamic University of uh, of uh, uh, of Gaza City, Gaza City Islamic University. Uh, one of the former missionaries who had quit the Southern Baptist Mission and wouldn't come home had taken a job as an English teacher there. And she had me come in and talk to her class. Uh, she wanted to stay there. She was a 40-year-old lady who was a career missionary, mission worker. So um, the, uh, the, 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 the missionary people understand what's going on. The Southern Baptist Convention yanked them out. They wouldn't let them stay because they decided it was too dangerous for them. Yeah, well, yeah. the people who were there didn't think it was too dangerous. They wanted to stay. Wow. So... Uh, this is what the Zionists have had to do in order to protect their turf, in order to protect their notions. They basically had to take their missionaries out of the Arab states, mm -hmm. and they've done it. Um, whereas the Lutherans uh, still know what's going on in Palestine. They still have missionaries there. And their uh, support for, uh, for the Palestinian people largely comes as a result of education they've received through their missionaries. Uh, I do believe, and uh, so uh, these these uh, these ideas are still there. Uh, the truth is still getting out; it's still leaking out, uh, and um, we just need to understand that uh, the uh, that the that the uh, that the Zionist movement is a particular wedge of Christianity, and not Christianity uh, in total. Well, um, I know there's a, a big Franciscan mission uh, in in Palestine as well. I think they still remain there, but I know they've been uh, put under duress many times. But uh, sure. oh my! Well, this is uh, this is all very sad. But you you uh, give a hopeful uh, presentation with the idea that the the truth is getting out, and maybe this revolution that you talked about, like even with Bernie Sanders. Is, is a result of the fact that people are awakening to things going on that are not right and that, uh, you know, maybe finally people are understanding that war uh, is not necessary. Uh, we'd like to think the, that anyway. Oh, goodness. Yes, and I, I think it's very important that we continually attach a war to uh, any economic problems we have. We can't need to point oh, out. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we need to point out if, uh, if, if we didn't have... If we had not had a continuous war for the last 27 years, we wouldn't have $20 trillion of federal debt. We wouldn't be facing questions that are going to come up in the next few months. And we might have an infrastructure that was really solid and and, uh, and uh, good, so we wouldn't have yes. to spend it on, on all that armament. But, you know, that military-industrial complex, security complex, whatever— and of course, and banking complex. Yes, and, oh, you bet. Yeah, you know, and you know who runs the banks. You were there. 
I, I, I sure have been, and, uh, and uh, I've seen the gold in the vaults of the Federal Reserve Bank and wonders who really owns it. I don't think the American public owns it anymore. No, I'm sure and, not. Uh, and and uh, we are being uh, sold the idea of, uh, currently, of huge indebtedness uh, for more wars. And uh, the, the, the notion of the military being built up uh, by, the, by the amount of $50 billion new dollars uh, is, uh, That's is pretty amazing, uh, considering we have a deficit already. Yeah. So, uh, and putting, we can see. I was going to say, I'm putting boots on the ground in Syria when we have not been invited into a sovereign country. How does that make you feel? That's pretty sick, too. Yes. And uh, we could talk about ISIS and uh, who funds ISIS and the reason no one ever talks about where ISIS yeah. gets its money and, yeah. and how it's funded. There's a lot of things we could talk about. Uh, and uh, Christians who are paying for this can understand it a bit. And if, if they can, if, if this is tied uh, a little bit to the uh, to the Zionist movement, uh, and they can get the notion that uh, some of the that the wars are actually being promoted by uh, by a Zionist movement, then uh, that 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 helps them to understand. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, we guess we have to just keep working at it, keep praying, keep working at it, keep trying to educate as best we can, but. I want to tell you how much I appreciate your taking this time. We're pretty much out of time now, um, but it's just been very educational and, uh, you know, hopeful. I'm I'm uh, I'm pleased with your positive attitude on all this because sometimes it gets very distressing. I'll tell you, but um, yeah. I'll make one last quick little uh, note here. 2017. We've talked about this in the past, but is an anniversary of a zillion things. Now we're finding out. I won't go into all of them, but. Uh, one that you probably are not familiar with is the the uh, miracle of the sun in uh, Fatima in Portugal in 2017 in 1917, and it's the hundredth year of that. And uh, we kind of, as Catholics and especially traditional Catholics, we're very eager to understand if this is going to be a meaningful year in some fashion or another. I mean, we don't know what God has planned for us, but we do know that uh, that was a, a very uh, um, important uh, uh, miracle that happened and that when Our Lady came and she told the children there, little children, what to expect and what was coming, uh, including wars. And if we didn't change and, and make God happy, make her son happy, we were going to have more of it. And we certainly have had more of it. And It'll be interesting to see if nineteen seven, if 2017 turns out to be an, a pivotal year. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. All in God's good timing. But, um, again, Chuck, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and effort and, and uh, the education and what you're doing, too. Now, we're going to do everything we can to get you seeing the Catholic side of some of these things. And I'm going to send you uh, Dr. Sungenesis' uh, uh, co- um CD on this as well. So maybe you can take uh, 20 minutes and listen to what he had to say about Christian Zionism. You're going to find that it's very similar to everything you're saying. <laughs> okay? Well, I'll, I'll be delighted to do that. And uh, and, and uh, I might, you might uh, tell your readers that we summed up about everything I've said in uh, 29 minutes in our uh, video that we made uh, uh, five years ago called The Tragedy and the Turning. Okay. 
and uh, it's the roots of Christian Zionism, the tragedy and the turning. And it's free on our website. You just go there and listen to it. Uh, it's got the it's got the um, the bombing raid in Israel in it that I Ooh, photographed. Uh, yes, it's there. Um, it's at night, but it's really there. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's got the parts about Genesis, the book of Genesis, understanding uh, the the uh, corruption of the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis 12. Uh, and um, it's, it's the best we can really do. And it, it actually won an award in, a, in, of all places, the Amwar Film Festival in Iran. Someone sent it there, and they had they reviewed 700 films, and they gave us a, a number two for documentaries. Uh, and, uh, I'm so, so happy to. I'm so happy to hear yeah. you say that because here again, Iran is this terrible enemy of the United States. They've done nothing to do to hurt us. They have done nothing, and yet we are supposed to hate them. So good for yeah. you. Good for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get some of my my uh, dear Protestant friends to make sure that they get to that website and and look that okay. look at that for sure. So we hold these truths and. Uh, Again, I it's w, got... Okay, well, um, Chuck, you take good care of yourself. Keep up the good work. Don't stop. Thank you, Judah. And uh, we'll be in touch, okay? Thank you, Judah. All right. God bless you and your family, okay? okay. All Thank right. Thank you. Notre Dame de Chartres, pray for us.